My name is Chelsea. I'm uh, one of Pastor John's many daughters. <laughs> I'm probably one of the ones you haven't met because I've been at Vanguard University in Southern California for four years. And it's always a pleasure for me to come home for the holidays and spend Sunday mornings with my church family. So it's not only an honor, but a joy to be with you this morning. I don't know about you, but when I hear a song like that, I feel an overwhelming sense of peace. Because just as Pastor Don said this morning, we live busy lives. I know I do. I live a busy and chaotic life, and when I hear a song like that and I can sing, there's nobody else for me but Jesus, I'm immediately reminded that he is my Prince of Peace. And in the midst of a blizzard of a life, he comes and intervenes and gives me this overwhelming sense of peace. Of anyone, I can tell you that I understand what it's like to live a busy life. And I was actually reminded of this the other day in a very small way. I get on I-90, okay? And immediately when I get on the interstate, I think 75 miles an hour. Because where I come from, just imagine six lanes of traffic, everybody's flying at 75 or 80 miles an hour. And if you go 55 on the interstate in California, you could cause a major accident. So I get on 90 the other day, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, why is everyone going so slow? And I'm like, my life is so fast-paced. I need to slow down. And I think many of us here will say that we live busy lives. And we need to slow down to God's rhythm. We live fast-paced and high-energy lives, right? I mean, we got the Red Bull, we got energy drinks. You know, Starbucks is our best friend. And from morning till night, our schedules are maxed out, and there's no time for rest. There's no time to just stop and breathe. We're tired, we're beat, and we're worn out. And some of us this morning may say, you know, I don't know that Jesus, that, that Prince of Peace. I know Jesus, my Savior, and Jesus, my teacher, but I don't know Jesus, that Prince of Peace. Or I haven't felt real peace or true rest in a really long time. We have so much going on that all we find is chaos, confusion, and disappointment. I took a class this last semester at Vanguard. And the class was to learn how to live a disciplined Christian life. So prior to this class, I come in with my busy schedule, right? I got this job, and I got that job, and I got classes, and I got homework, and I'm in a serious relationship, and I got a social life. I got all this stuff. And I come into this class, and I'm like, all right, give me my work. I'm going to get it done and get through this class. And my professor says, one of your assignments this semester is to take a 24-hour Sabbath once a week. And I'm like, this guy is crazy. I don't have 24 hours to just do nothing, to just maybe have fun or rest or relax. And here's what I'll tell you I learned through this class. I learned that a Sabbath 
is a way of trusting God. It's a way of saying, God, I trust you with all the things in my life that I so desperately want to control. The things that I want to have control over in my life, my Sabbath is releasing them to you and saying, Lord, I trust you and I rest in your arms. In the scriptures, you know, God commands us to rest. In fact, God rested himself, right? We read in the creation narrative that he worked six days and rested on the seventh day. But with that, we have this mentality that we go, 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 and then crash. Because we read that God worked, 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 and then rested. But here's, here's what I believe. I believe that God knew what rest was long before he created the world. And essentially, he was working from a place of rest rather than to a place of rest. And here's what that means. It means that we get to enjoy our work and the days throughout our lives because we feel a sense of strength because we'd rested rather than resting because we're exhausted. God's given us a Sabbath as a gift and he wants us to enjoy it. I don't think that God worked, 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 worked and then crashed. I think he was creating out of a place of rest. But we have it backwards, right? We go until we can't go anymore. We go until the gas tank runs empty. But what if we were a people that every time we got into the car, we had something to run on because we've chosen to take time periodically in our lives to stop, refill, replenish, and rest. for our benefit not his now out of all the ten commandments we stop today on the fourth remember the sabbath to keep it holy and in case we might not connect it on our own god uses the same language in the first book of the bible that he does here in the second to connect it for us and i paraphrase in six days not five not a million years not an eon in six days god did a bunch of work making everything that we see and don't see and he rested on the seventh day therefore he blessed it and made it holy he set it apart one day out of seven so we got ten commandments. We got eight don'ts and two do's. But inside, one of the do's is a don't, this fourth commandment. The do is to remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. And the way to keep it holy is the don't. Don't work. Or more accurate to its intent, put aside the normal work you do on the previous six days. Make this day different. One day out of seven. Okay, so let's leap forward about 1,500 years or so to Mark chapter 2. And you'll see that Jesus says, quite frankly, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for the man. Sabbath was made for the man. Huh. God blessed this day and he set it apart. Why? For what?
Well, perhaps it's a date. Maybe God is saying He just wants to spend time with us. Yeah, He created us to do all kinds of things and have friends and family and live our lives, but maybe He's saying He'd like to spend time with us too. Now He knows we're busy. That's why He gave us seven days. Six days to do all the things that we have to do. And one day to spend with Him. One day out of seven. That word Sabbath means to stop, to cease, to stop working. I think you've picked up on that by now, haven't you? It refers to doing nothing related to work for a 24-hour period. It's a unit of time in which we orient our lives to set apart something that is holy. We're to be holy for He is holy. And what that means to be holy is that we set something apart, a cut above the other six days. You heard it said, as Chelsea said, we can look at it as though we work the six days and then rest, or we can look at it the other way and that we rest and work six days. But either way, it's meant, the Sabbath is meant to be a reorientation of our lives back into the cadence of what God is doing. And on that day, we're supposed to, this is really amazing, we're supposed to imitate God on our Sabbath. Well, what did God do? He did what He delighted in. He, he worked, and then He rested. Make no mistake about it, though, keeping the Sabbath, it's pretty tough. Plus, it's also radical, especially in the age with which that we live because we try to cram far more into it. It absolutely cuts to the core, I think, of our spirituality. It cuts to the core of our own personal convictions, cuts to the core of our faith. And frankly, as you heard it demonstrated a minute ago, it cuts to the core of our lifestyles. How do I take and set aside that much time in a week? Our Western culture today, we don't know what it's like to set aside a whole day. But I can tell you, and I'm going to share a little bit with you today about what happened on our sabbatical, because many have been asking, and some of you say, sabbatical? I didn't know you took a sabbatical. And that's okay, I'll share that in just a minute. But you know, I used to consider it an extra. I used to think in serving in ministry and, and, and having been a, a pastor now for almost 30 years, that, that frankly our Sabbath is a day other than on Sunday. And you know, how do I put aside 24 hours in that set period of time? Well, I hope to demonstrate that as time goes on. Because, you see, we live in a fallen world. And I discovered on my Sabbath that in the midst of this fallen world, it's a blizzard out there. It's absolutely a blizzard. And if we're in the middle of a blizzard and we don't have a plan, it really is the tyranny of the urgent. We're struggling just to, just to survive as best we can. And I'm convinced that really nothing less than observing the Sabbath or trusting in the Sabbath as a commandment from God is really quite sad. And we get to that place to where we, we go so long and that's that area of diminishing returns. We have no more energy left to give. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just a command. It's actually a gift. It's a gift that's been given to us. And I don't know, I have yet to find somebody that doesn't like a gift. You mention the word gift to somebody and they just, they get excited. And I think we're all that way. So keeping the, the commandment in Scripture, well, it's a commandment. It's the longest and it's the most specific commandment of the ten. It really is that gift that God says, if you don't use it, you're liable to lose it. And so He wants to place it before us. So as we've opened gifts, and it's the one probably, not the one, but it's one of those that you won't take back. 
but we want to enjoy it. When God called Israel out of Egypt, He told them, you know, this may be a little bit strange for you, just as, uh, you know, I created a fish to live in water, I want you to now understand that as you're leaving from Egypt out into the promised land, I've created a design that I want you to follow. And therefore, follow as I have designed it. And how do we know what that is? God worked, we work. God rested, we're to rest. And so it, it, it goes to play that we should really observe and do the very same things that God himself had done. With that concept in mind then, I want to share with you a little bit in the next couple of moments about what a sabbatical really is. And a sabbatical is just a little longer set period of time that is put aside to help us to rest, to refocus, and to reorient our lives to what God had in mind. That's what a Sabbath is about. In my case, we took a 60-day sabbatical. Celeste and I left here on September 21st, right after Johnny and his wife got married. And uh, we figured the school year got started, they could be off and running, and that would be the best time for us to be able to get away. And so that's exactly what we did. And I would love to stand here this morning and in the next 30 minutes share with you exactly all that took place in 60 days. But you don't want to hear all that. You want the highlights. And if you want to know more, you can make an appointment or you can catch me in the hallway and I'll share as much as you want to hear. Because I can tell you, God met us where we were at on our sabbatical. And frankly, as I said, when we came back on that one Sunday, I really believe that sabbatical saved my life. I believe it saved my marriage. And I believe it saved the ministry that God has had for us. That sabbatical is necessary. But it translates down to you and I in that we need to remember that Sabbath. I did something during that time that I've been told for, for quite a while that I should do. And that is I journaled. And I brought my journal this morning, and on the front of it is a particular verse. And when Pastor had mentioned to me when I got back that I would be speaking this morning, I said, all right, Lord, how do I narrow all this down? And I was sitting there, and I looked up, and on the front of my journal, as I had just spent some time um, writing down many of the thoughts that went through our head and, and insights that God gave us, was this particular verse that's also in your notes, and we'll look at that in just a minute. But I want you to know I'm a verbal communicator. You probably know that by now, most of you that know me. I don't necessarily like to write things down. And I definitely didn't like to journal. And my idea of journaling was a 13-year-old diary. And uh, I thought, you know, it's like Twitter. Well, I'm feeling this right now. And I'm in the kitchen now. And I'm in the bathroom. No, no, you don't want to know that, okay? But that's what I thought. And I will tell you, one of the things that Celeste and I had to do in the first week that we took off as a sabbatical is that they made an appointment for us at Emerge Ministries. Not so that we would get counseling because we were totally out of whack, but to make sure that we were healthy. And one of the things the counselor told me there is, you need to journal. And I didn't believe him. But I'm here to tell you that I've not stopped journaling since I started. And it has changed my life. And I'll share more about that in just a few minutes. But I will tell you on the front, on your notes, on the outline, and probably on the screens up there, is a portion of this. And I'm going to read from Jeremiah 29, starting at verse 10, all the way through 14. It reads like this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all of the nations 
and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now the key on this is the one that we hear so many times, and you know it, and it's in the middle of that. For I know the plans I have for you. You know, you can circle that word plans. If you're taking notes at all or mentally, just do that. Circle that word no, and then circle the word plans. And then the other word I want you to circle is the word prosper. And I want to look at those three, and then I want to share something with you out of the midst of what we learned on a sabbatical that I hope will be probably nothing new, but an incredible encouragement to you and to where you are in your relationship and in your walk with the Lord. That word, no. Wow, what an incredible word. Doesn't mean a whole lot to you or me, but when I went to Israel, they spoke a lot of Hebrew. And I didn't pick it up. I wish I did. And in fact, when I was in Bible school, I had the opportunity to take Hebrew, and I didn't do it. You know why? Because I didn't want to get up at 7 a.m. for class five days a week. Pretty bad. That word know, though, is the word yada, which basically is to know and to be known, to perceive and see, to find out and discern. Now, when we say know, which part of that are we really referring to? It's, it's kind of like, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to share with you some insight. I want you to know what I know. And that's really what the Lord is saying in the midst of this. I know something that I'm going to share with you. But at the same time, he uses it in a particular context where he says, the fact that I know, I want you to seek me that you may know it also, that you may perceive it, discern it, and understand it. So in other words, he's going to teach us something. Now that word plan, I like that word plan. In fact, as we set out to do the sabbatical, I was told uh, about six, eight months before we went, then I had to come up with a plan. And I'd never taken a sabbatical before. And how do you come up with a plan to rest and refresh and reorient yourself? That was probably the hardest part of the sabbatical. Because I wanted to put down rest. Do nothing. Okay, how do you measure that? I do nothing. But in, but in the midst of flowing through that and seeking God, He really showed us what? A, sabbat, a, a Sabbath or a sabbatical is all about and how that unfolds and how you learn how there are plans. So we had some plans and some of those plans were fulfilled and others I realized that in knowing God, he said, okay, you've got some plans, but I'm going to enhance those plans and I'm going to do something a little bit different than what you thought. A plan is just typically a procedure used to achieve an objective. It could be a set of an intended actions through which we expect to achieve a goal. It could be formal. It could be informal. When my wife sends me to the store for more than four items, I have to have a plan. I must write it down. Or usually I have to call her and say, uh, I've got three of the items and I forgot the other two. You know how that is? We have a plan. When you leave here today, some of you may go home. We heard Pastor Jack talk about that last week, that he takes the exact same route home all the time. His plan is to do that. Well, what happens if God says, oh, there's a roadblock here. I want to change your plan. Some of us have a tendency to, oh, I don't like change. Look at here. Scripture. It's in your notes. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Oh, I love that one from Proverbs 19.21. And again in 16.9 it says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. 
And I didn't list it there, but one of my other favorites is in Proverbs 20, verse 24, and it says, A man's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his own way? Have you ever wondered? I mean, sometimes, again, we go through the motions of things and we drive from one place to another, and we really never even thought about making certain turns. We just, we went. We knew where we were going, and we just have that idea. But sometimes you wonder, you know, how did I really get here? It just kind of happened. Well, that's the idea of busyness. Now that word plans. That word plans means thoughts, a device, purpose, or invention. Think about that. I know the invention that I have for you. For every single one of us sitting in this room. It's the last Sunday of the year. And, uh, and, and frankly, you know, part of us were sitting back thinking, okay, we're just relaxing. It's in between Christmas and New Year's of sorts. And uh, we're about to start a new year. And we're going to make those New Year's resolutions, which mean absolutely nothing. Right? We really should make mid-year resolutions. That's really what Sabbath is all about. But anyway, we have these ideas. And ironically, this particular verse is on, is on many hearts. We can quote it in the New International Version. It's, it's on posters and it's on mirrors everywhere. But it's smack dab in the middle of a letter that was given to exiles. And I want you to understand it in its context this morning. Not that we've gotten it wrong, but I think in our culture, in our Western culture, in our busyness, we put certain connotations to certain words. And when we do that, we automatically assume. And if I start off with a verse that you're totally familiar with, what happens is you tune me out and say, yeah, he's going to do a, one of those big, long exegesis studies on all the various words in there. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to, to, to go there. You see, here's the deal. Israel, Judah at that time, was in bondage. And do you know why they were in bondage? If you were to look at Jeremiah 25, and we won't turn to it for sake of time today, but I'm going to tell you, basically there were several different prophets that were prophesying at the time. One of them, Hananiah, was telling them what they wanted to hear. Oh, peace, peace. God's going to bless us. In just a short period of time, we're going to be out of this mess. And Jeremiah, on the other hand, was saying, no, guys, it's not. It's not going to be real quick. It's going to take a while. And, and what happened in the midst of that is there was 23 years that prophets had been speaking to them as to what to do. And they weren't listening. And God said, I've had enough. God's made a principle in His Word, and that is what you sow, you also reap. And yes, I love what Pastor Don said this morning, that until we get it together, God will hold us together until we do. And yes, God will bless us. God will, He will constantly forgive us. His gift of salvation is free. But I'm going to tell you, the reason that many of us are struggling today is because a lack of obedience. We're doing just what Judah did at the time. We've heard the word. It's been preached. It's been shared. I take notes, but I leave here and I don't put it into practice. And when I don't do that, I'm not walking in obedience. And when I don't do that, I don't have the favor of God. And what happens is it goes through succession. God blesses. We get very prosperous. We do quite well. We eventually depend on ourselves. We forget God for a period of time. And then God says, they forgot me. I need to put them back into bondage. He puts them back into the bondage for a period of time and they call upon him. And in the midst of this particular verse, I'm going to tell you, Jeremiah says, God says to you, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, they were also told the captivity they were going to be under was for 70 years. And yes, we may look at that and say, all right, what does that mean? I think because of Psalm 90 verse 10, it really says that the length of a man's life, meaning us men and women, is approximately 70 years or so. 
And I think it was done in such a time that, yes, they were in bondage because of a lack of obedience of following what God told the, the children of Israel to do, the law of sowing and reaping. But he was also telling them, I don't want you to give up. In fact, he said to them, I want you to, to marry, to, to give your sons and daughters away in marriage and marry the people that are there, even though you're under King Nebuchadnezzar's rule. But I also want you to build houses and I want you to settle down. It's going to be a while. Even though God said, yes, there'll come a time, at the end of that 70 years, you know what's going to happen? You're going to seek me. And you're going to seek me with your whole heart. And when you seek me with your whole heart, he says, I will answer. I will be there. That's the way God is. We sang about it this morning. It was so beautiful. It was so incredible to understand that as we worship him, there is never a time that he says, oh, too late. It's too far. You're just, you're, you're way out there. No. He says, I want you to slow down and get into my cadence. I want you to get into my rhythm. And I want you to understand that you need to rest, refresh, and to reorient yourself. And that's not just for pastors. The Sabbath, folks, is for all of us. It's not just for the Jews. It's for those of us that have been grafted in as Gentiles as well. So you see, at 70 years, at the end of that life, we'll all have to give an account. So Jeremiah 29.11 is just a ray of hope in the midst of a dark world. It's not short-term success and prosperity as we may think of it. We can't just take that verse and claim it and say, Oh, God's going to bless me. I'm going to just hold on to this. And I love it when Pastor Jason was talking a couple of weeks ago about our words and how we declare that, how it's important to not only pray the, the Scriptures out, but to pray and to declare what God tells you. But it doesn't mean we take it as just some good luck charm and say, All right, the Lord just knows and He's just going to bless no matter what. No, He says in here, Yeah, you're going to be prosperous when you get back on track. Yes, I have a plan. And yes, you have a choice. We all have that choice. But I don't want us to get settled into the, you know, the trivialities of the fact that we just want to pull people around us like Hananiah, who was a great speaker, a great orator. They loved to have him around. He said nice, great things. But Jeremiah said what was reality. And I would imagine Jeremiah probably didn't speak quite so good. And so they really had maybe a tough time listening to him. But God spoke through him. And we know of it and we read of it now. Now that word prosper, that word prosper means, and it's one of my favorite, and it's really what I've based the title of this whole message on, and that word prosper means shalom. Say that with me. Shalom. You've heard that before, haven't you? Shalom. It means, there's no one English word for this. That's what makes this so tough. It means peace, completeness, safeness, welfare, health, and I love this, friend, human friendships, and our covenant with God. And that word shalom also means blessing. So really the emphasis here isn't on, I know the plans to bring you great wealth and prosperity, which when we look at the word prosper, that's what we think. We think material things. What God is saying, and a better version really, a better understanding of this verse would be, for I know the shalom that I have for you, the peace, the blessing, the safeness, the welfare, the economic conditions. And then he says, plans to not harm you. And I didn't put that one in your notes, but it just means evil. It just means calamity. I know what I have for you. I know, God says, I know the thoughts I'm thinking about you and their plans for peace in all those facets and not to harm you. I don't want evil. I don't want calamity. But if I have to turn you over to serve underneath somebody who doesn't serve me, 
to get your attention, to get you to the place to where you will then seek me once again, he'll do it. But he'll never let them fully touch you. Because, as we heard this morning, God will keep us in his care until we finally have got it together. But he gives us a choice. That's what I love about this. So this I know then. That these two words, shalom and harm, they mean peace and not evil. How do I know that? It's in your notes from Jeremiah 38.4. And it says just a, a couple of chapters over. And this is about eight years later. And, and, and look at as it's read there. Then the official said to the king, Let this man Jeremiah be put to death, inasmuch as he is a discouraging to the men of war who are left in this city and all the people, by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the shalom of those people, but rather the reha, that evil. In other words, they were saying, Wait a minute, Jeremiah is not out for our good. All he's talking about is doom and gloom. No, you know why Jeremiah was doing that? Because they went through 23 years of disobedience. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it seems like God, God just lets me just up to my own things for a while until I finally come to my senses. We ever had one of those? You know, you've been in that particular place. I think what these officials were accusing Jeremiah of is they didn't have the knowledge. It's almost like I see your actions and I don't think you have the good intention for me. But I don't really know what you're understanding. They didn't know as Jeremiah knew that God said, you know, I may have to hurt you first before I can help you, before I can heal you. It really comes to play. So really that word prosperity, uh, that doesn't fit. It really shouldn't be there. And if you're going to memorize it, it's easiest and it's the most popular and it's out there. But I want you to understand some Our connotation that goes with that word prosper, it's not a good one. A better translation is shalom. Now, here's what I want you to do. Pastor usually has us do this, but I'm not going to have you stand. If you really care about somebody that's next to them, I want you to turn to them right now and say, Shalom. Do it. You know what you just did? And if you didn't do it, it means reha. You wish evil on them. When we say Shalom, it means I want you to be blessed. I want you to prosper. I want you to have a great relationship with God. I want you to have a lot of friends. I am wishing you shalom. When we were over in Israel, everywhere we went, that's what they kept saying to one another, shalom, shalom. It was almost like I, th I felt like I was in, you know, another land like Hawaii where they say aloha or something else. And I thought, okay, great. But after a while, I, I understood. When I understood this principle and when I was doing my journaling and spending my quiet time and, and in the midst of what we were going through, I realized that that shalom meant they were wanting to wish me God's blessing. They were wanting to wish me God's favor. But I won't partake of the full flavor unless I do something else. But a better way to phrase this, and I did put it on the back side of your notes, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. That's always nice, isn't it? I... Uh, I better not go there. Says the Lord. Thoughts of shalom. <laughs> you should know what's going on in my head. And not of evil. To give you hope for the latter end. Now, that's from the Hebrew names version. And I think in light of that, it's not as easy to memorize that one as it is in the NIV. 
But if you understand the words, and I'm not downplaying a particular version, I'm just telling you, I use the NIV for a lot of things. But in order to make sure that I understand it fully, need to do a little bit more in depth and, and understand the things that go with it. So the real blessing of shalom comes by one simple word, obedience. It's obedience for you and I. And for each of us and on our journey with the Lord, that obedient thing that He tells us to do may be a little different. What God tells me to do is obedient may not be the same thing for you. But He does say that we need to remember the Sabbath. So I want to share with you just a few pictures. I want to seem like the, uh, the typical missionary here. How's that? For just a second. And, and don't, don't panic. The rest of those notes that are there are exactly my thoughts, and I will give you that. But I've got some slides that I... Slides. That, that really tells you, isn't it? <laughs> I've got some digital pictures here that I really want to share. I want to introduce you to Shalom. And uh, that's not me. <clears throat> Do you have that? There it is. There he is. This is Shalom. That really is his name. And his name is Shalom Almog. And he happens to be the owner and the leader of the particular tour company that Celeste and I took. And when we were looking at part of our sabbatical is that uh, I was asked what would be one of those things that would just really recharge my batteries. And, you know, being a pastor, and uh, I've always wanted, and they're going to go ahead and slide through those. I'm going to talk just a couple minutes so that you don't sit here and, and get three-minute dissertation on all 37 of these, okay? But I will tell you, Shalom was an interesting man. Shalom is one of those that God just led us to. There are a number of tour companies out there, and they all do a great job. In fact, there are thousands of them out there, and how do you know? But God led us to Shalom. Shalom is a man that for 43 years worked in the Israeli Defense Forces. He retired as a full bird colonel about seven and a half years ago. And he felt so strongly being an Israeli himself and seeing so many tours coming over that of Jewish people that wanted to come to the homeland that he and his wife started a tour company as well. Not to, for it to get large. In fact, Shalom didn't need to work another day in his life. He's retired so well off it's not even funny. But you know what happened to Shalom? Four years ago, Shalom got saved. Shalom came to Jesus. And he has this glow about him that is absolutely incredible. And so somebody told him, in fact, it was Hal Bryan from the power team, from the original power team that was a part of him, and said, you know, Shalom, I think God's telling you, you need to reach out to Christians to come to the Holy Land to make a connection with Jewish people. And that's exactly what happened. What my plans were was that Celeste and I were going to go and we were going to check out the, the Holy Land. We saw 38 different sites in the midst of this. And some of those pictures I've put up there, I took over 3,000 pictures. There's no way I was going to share all those with you. Some of them with us in them and some of them without. But Shalom is a very godly man who desires so much not to be large. Shalom was with us from the start when we landed in Israel, in Tel Aviv, until we went back and he and his wife walked our entire group through security to make sure that we were safe and that we were good. First question Pastor Jack asked me when I got home, did you feel threatened whatsoever? I said, are you kidding? Shalom knows everybody in the entire state of Israel. I mean, he, he took us up to the Golan Heights and showed us exactly. He gave his testimony on top of the Golan Heights as we looked out over an area where the Palestinians and the Israelis have really wanted to, to control that. And right now, and in fact, that's it right there. That's the picture from the top of the Golan Heights. Absolutely remarkable as to the testimony of this particular man. But I will tell you, Celeste and I went to Jer Jerusalem. We saw the Jordan River. We went to the Sea of Galilee, and you saw on there we were on a boat called Faith. And the guy that ran the boat also got saved about three and a half years ago. And he's now singing songs in Hebrew that are, that are Christian songs because the Israelis will listen to music far more than they'll listen to preaching. 
And he is one of those that is, that is reaching out. But I'm telling you, sitting on the Sea of Galilee, singing praises to Jesus, was absolutely amazing. It, the best thing I can tell you, the closest thing I can say, I'm one of those, I'm a big Disneyland enthusiast. And we lived in, in Orange, California, which was five minutes from Disneyland for a whole year. And, and we had annual passes, and I went 52 times. I know you think I'm nuts. And I don't know why. I don't know why I was so enamored with it. But I love rides. I love, I love that kind of thing. When we went to Israel, this probably surpassed Disneyland by 10 times. Not only did we go and, and experience and what I thought was in walking in the places where Jesus walked, but understanding all of the countryside and how Scripture comes alive. But what I didn't know is what God would give me. He showed us in the midst of us being there that God wants us as Christian believers who know the true Messiah to not only come to the Holy Land to experience what has taken place there, but to make a connection with the Jewish people that are there so that they can understand that the Messiah is here. And when I got back, I found out that Scripture tells us exactly that, that we are to live our lives in such a way that, that we make an impact on the Jewish people so that they can turn, in turn, realize that Jesus was the true Messiah. One of my favorites was the Valley of Megiddo right there. That was one of the things that I wanted to see. And they fully understand biblical prophecy over there and the fact that that is where Jesus is going to fight the enemy and whoop him for the final time. And I'm telling you, I wanted to see it before the battle took place. Because I read it through Scripture. And I see it there. And it was absolutely amazing. I saw, we saw remnants of St. Peter's house. We were in the area of Caesarea. We walked along the, 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 the mountain where Jesus fed the 5,000. And, and I'll tell you, everywhere where Jesus seemed to sneeze, the, 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 Jewish, or the Turkish monks built a church in the 1500s. And, and a lot of the people, a lot of the other pastors that were with us, they weren't all from our particular denomination. Some of them were Lutheran and, and, and other areas. And all they really wanted to see was all these churches. And I kept thinking to myself, these churches weren't here when Jesus was here. You know, I just want to see... I mean, I reached out when we were on the Sea of Galilee and they were talking about the stones that they use and how when they put their nets, they, they actually chisel a hole out and they tie their, their nets through it. And, and what we didn't realize is we're sitting there and Shalom is out there. I mean, um, our, our, our tour guide, his name was Halel, an Israeli. He's out there. He picks up a stone that has this nice little smooth section. And he goes, oh, this was one of those that they would have had. A lot of these rocks have washed up on the shore. I mean, I had to pick up that rock to say, I want that. You know, that's from the Sea of Galilee. So, anyway, and there's the Western Wall, and you see us going there. What an incredible place. And all those papers that people put in there, all the prayers. And in fact, three weeks before we got there, I understand the Pope made a visit to the Western Wall and the Wailing Wall. And uh, he put a, a piece of paper in there as well. I found out they vacuum those out once a week. And they save every single piece of paper that's ever put in that wall and have from the very beginning. It is probably the most holy place to the Jewish people now because they don't occupy the temple. And we'll talk more about that. And I'm telling you, if you're even inkling, if you're even thinking about going, you know, to the Holy Land. Pastor Jack decided to shift that from March so that people would have time to be able to get it. And I will be going and, and helping to lead that. And I wanted to, to land right there with this one right here. This was on Friday night. This was on the Sabbath. And I'm going to tell you, the Jewish people, I watched them. And when, when sundown hits on Friday night, they know how to rest. They have a day of preparation prior to to get everything ready. And in fact, they have what they call in the hotel there the Shabbat elevator. And they reminded us, said, on Friday night, don't use the Shabbat elevator. And I'm thinking, why not? Because it stops at every floor and opens up on the way up 
and on the way down. And they put us on the eighth floor. So the elevator takes a long time to get up because the Jewish people have 360 rules that they cannot violate on the Sabbath whatsoever. And one of them is they can't turn anything on or turn it off. That's a part of it. Kind of ridiculous. And at that particular point in that picture that you saw, we were getting ready to go to a couple of Jewish synagogues that night to celebrate, to, to just see and, and be festive. And of course, in order to go, you have to have a yarmulke. And Celeste put that on me and took my picture and I actually smiled for her. But I wasn't a happy camper. Because I thought, what is this stupid ritual that these people go through and they don't fully understand? And the Lord really got a hold of my heart. I'm just being a little transparent with you. But the Lord just really got a hold of my heart and He said, you don't understand. You've got your own rituals. You become a believer and you just slide right in as well. You come in, you sit down, you let them sing. And, and the minute the pastor starts preaching, you kind of nod off. Because that's what we do. And as long as I endure, you've got your own rituals. And I'm telling you, you know what a Sabbath is about? It's about keeping it fresh. It's about keeping it reoriented. It's about realigning. It's about understanding that we live in a blizzard, folks. And in the midst of that blizzard, it's like when we don't have a plan, it's totally survival mode. One of the books I read by Parker Palmer, he relates a story that I want to share with you, and that is, this is a true thing. I looked it up on the internet as well. In the Midwest, many of the people would prepare for blizzards because they would tie a rope from their back door out to the barn because blizzards would come up rather quickly. And I know, I grew up in Colorado, and I understand many of those just hit real quick. But in a lot of those big areas where they've got the big open plains, if you were to go out to, to deal with something and a storm came, there were times the blizzard was so bad you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. And there were people that have died within few feet of their back door simply because they had no way. But I'm telling you, what they've learned to do is they've learned to tie a rope. And as long as they hang onto the rope, no matter how tight the blizzard is, no matter what's going on around them, no matter what they can't see, they can still get back to the back door. And I really believe that the Sabbath is the same as maintaining that back door, maintaining that rope. It's holding on to us. Many of us have lost our way spiritually. We wonder why we're struggling. We wonder why the whiteout of the blizzard is swirling around us. You know, when the blizzard comes, it's because we've said yes to too many things. We have to learn a particular word, and that is no. You know, I teach the shape class, and I do that on purpose. Because I want everybody in this place, in fact, I want everybody in the world to understand what their gifts are, what their passion is, and what God has called them to do. And if you don't know that, you need to be in that class, and it'll be starting in January. Okay? Another plug. Is that free? Is that okay? Good. And I'm telling you, I'm not going to tell you what that is, but I'm telling you, if you understand what you're good at, if you're not a teacher, I don't, we don't want you in the kids' department teaching kids. Because it's not your gift. I can't last 10 minutes in the nursery. I'm going to tell you. I took my turn when my kids were small only because I was a parent at one of the churches we were at. But was I good at it? No. All right? And I understand what my gifts are. You don't want me up here leading worship. Believe me, you don't. Okay? <laughs> but if you know your gifts, you know how to not say yes to too many things. And so in that blizzard of life, we need to, once again, let's not get overscheduled. Let's not get so tense and addicted to hurry and frantic that, that, that we get so preoccupied and fatigued. I just got so much to do. And you know what else happens to us that I really discovered when we were on the sabbatical? I discovered that doing nothing time will drive a high personality type A type nuts. Because you know what? If we don't accomplish something, we feel like we are worthless. You see, why do you think we're called human beings? We're not called human doings. You know, we're not supposed to be busy doing. We're supposed to be who we were meant to be 
in Him. And the only way we know that is to make sure that we're gifted in the area that He has equipped us. We don't get to choose. I mean, i got five kids. They're all sitting down here today, which is an incredible blessing. That was really, that was the greatest present this year. We didn't plan that. But I'm going to tell you, not a, not a two of them are alike. Not a two of you are alike in here. God has planted within each one of us different personality types, different abilities, different passions, different things. And when you find out what that is, you know what's really interesting about that? Is that if you're resting on one day and you've got the next six to work, if you're doing what you're gifted and passionate about, it's not called work. It's actually a joy. Find a job you love and you'll never work another day in your life. But I'm telling you, 83%, according to Barna, says that most people today in America hate the job they're in. They're only there because they're afraid to make a move or because of the money. That's wrong, folks. And I'm telling you, there aren't a lot of you in here today. Less than a thousand of us, probably. But I'm telling you, the message I think God wants us to understand today is it's about obedience. Are you going to be obedient? When, he, when the trumpet calls and when we're, we're sent home, it's not, okay, let's go through all those things that you accomplished. It's whether or not we were faithful to what He called us to. What we need is we need a rope to lead us home. We need to know shalom. I want to know shalom. And I will tell you, we've got to slow down to God's rhythm. So how do we do that? How do we find shalom? Real quick. Stick with me the last three minutes. How's that? If you look at it in there, first of all, we've got to trust in the Sabbath. Absolutely have to trust in the Sabbath. It's, it's not a matter of a, of a have to. It's a want to. When it gets to the place to where we want to. Now, I'm, I'm like most of you. I know that feeling. When I get a day off, I get the honeydew list. And, and you know, it's like, okay, I'm trading one set of work for another. But have I ever thought about trying to work smarter so that maybe I could do that honeydew list throughout the week so that when it comes time for the Sabbath, I would work it out right? Well, there are four components to every Sabbath. You may or may not know this. And how do you know you've had a successful Sabbath? Well, I'm here to tell you. The first one is, it's a day of stopping. You just have to stop. Most of us can't stop until we're finished with whatever we think we have to do. So it's about setting limits. And you have to set those before you get there. Because when you're in the midst of it, the emotional part of you kind of creates and goes in. So it involves trust. Secondly, the Sabbath calls for rest. What does it take for you to rest? You know, some people... They're either going full speed and the minute they sit down, they're out. Okay, that tells me you've not rested. Because somewhere in the midst of that, you don't know how to have that in-between time. And I'm not here to criticize. I'm just here to tell you, I've been there. I know that feeling. I know exactly what it is. And I know how frustrating it is. But I'm here to tell you, it'll save your life if you begin to incorporate this Sabbath. God rested after His work, and we're supposed to do the same. So whatever it is, it's a rest for you. For us, I will tell you that uh, when Celeste and I were on sabbatical, one of the things that we did, and she, I'd just be a little transparent, you know, she wanted to go to the beach. And of course, I thought about, I love going to the beach and kind of like, you know, let me see it through, you know, from inside, you know, and it's nice, it's peaceful, I see the waves coming, that's great. I'm not a real big, big beach person. But one of the things we did on sabbatical is that after we went through some counseling, we went down to Florida and we sat down on the beach for two weeks. And I'm telling you, it's one of the best times I've ever had. And I didn't realize how much you could see and hear God by just sitting at the beach and doing nothing. Nothing. We sat and looked at clouds and tried to imagine what we saw. I remember as a kid doing that, looking up saying, what do you see in that one? Oh, I don't know. Those kind of crazy things. I mean, we took walks. We walked three miles every day on the beach and just talked. 
And it's amazing what can happen when you set aside a period of time and a Sabbath to be able to re-energize and refocus and allow God to really speak to you. It's tough in silence. The third component of it is, is that we need to delight. So we've got to stop. He wants us to rest. And then God says, I don't want you to have any, no fun. He says, I want you to delight. You see, I think what God did is God created all this stuff on the sixth day. And you know what I, I, I hear God saying? I mean, I see it in Scripture. On the seventh day, He rested. I think God, probably God sat back and He looked at it and He says, You know, I've done good. I've done real good. I can just hear Him saying that. And, and then that's really what we need to do. And how do I get to that place to where I say, I want that. I want so bad to be at that place to where I can just rest and say, I've done good. I'll tell you what, it wasn't easy. When I started in here... About the first two weeks in here, I thought, this is the dumbest thing. And you know what I wrote in here? This is the dumbest thing. I did. I really did. But I did what the counselor said because I didn't want to be crazy. You know, I didn't want them to give a report back that, yeah, Pastor John and Celeste, man, they're off the deep end. They're gone. Let them go. (laughs) But you know what? I found that after a period of time, after sticking with it, and after dialoguing and writing out and then going back and thinking through some of what happened, I realized that God had a plan. And as long as I kept pressing in, as long as I kept trying to find out those things that really excited me about God and I delighted in those by stopping, by resting and then delighting, it took me to the last one. And that was to contemplate. To just contemplate on God. The Sabbath is always holy to the Lord and we need to ponder the love of God. If you don't understand that, there are all kinds of helps that are out there, folks. I mean, you could get on the internet and just start, you know, searching stuff and things will come out. You begin to understand. So a Sabbath is meant we need to stop, we need to rest, we need to delight in Him. And then lastly, we need to contemplate on God and allow Him to do that. Now there's one other aspect that, uh, that I learned while we were on, on our sabbatical. And just before I get that, let me show you, let me tell you, give you a, a real quick illustration as to what happened. In that same book that I was reading by Parker Palmer, he gives another illustration about the importance of resting in a Sabbath and, and what that means. True story of a Christian group, a wagon train that was traveling from St. Louis to Oregon, part of the Oregon Trail. And as they were heading out in the autumn, they were concerned that they weren't going to get there in time. And as winter was starting to settle in a little bit early, they had been observing the Sabbath being a Christian group. And it, there was a discussion that came out and it eventually turned into an argument. And in the midst of that argument, half the group wanted to keep on going because they wanted to get there before winter set in. And the other half says, no, we're going we're to rest. Now, do you know which part of that wagon train got there first? The one that rested. Do you know why? Because they accomplished more on the six days because they were rested. Even their animals were far more rested. And they were able to make it. And I'm telling you, this thing works. This principle works. You heard it said out of a busy college student. You're hearing it from me. It's listed in the, in the Word. If you don't think you have time for the Sabbath, I beg to differ with you. You don't have time not to. It is so important for us to be able to make sure that we do that. The next part is maintain a daily office. Now, what does that mean? That word office comes from the word opus. And it just that's exactly what it means. It means to work. And, and I've been trying this. It was one of the suggestions that came to me by a man by the name of Peter Scarzero, who is the pastor of a church in Queens. And I'm telling you, it's not necessarily easy at first. It's different than your daily devotions. Here's what usually happens. If you're like most guys and you're like me, you get up in the morning and you know the Bible says, you know, I need to do my devotions. So I set aside some time and I do five to ten minutes. And if I'm real spiritual, I get to get 20 minutes out of that. All right? But by noon, you know what happens? It's wore off. 
and I think I'm right. And then dad comes home after a busy day and the family is looking forward to having the maximum amount of time together. And what happens? We're frazzled. We're too busy. We've, we've missed it. Well, a daily office has taken a set period of time. It could be a minute. It could be five minutes. It could be ten. And a daily office is, is very simple to throughout the time frame. You know, David prayed seven times a day, King David. Daniel set aside three times a day. Not for daily devotions, but for a daily office to be able to refocus. It's, it's a short Sabbath. It's just a matter of, of, of a small component. And I'll tell you what, I've tried it. And I will tell you, it works. And for somebody who is highly organized, who really loves to just you know, control things and be an administrative type, I'll tell you what, when you learn to practice a daily Sabbath, it's amazing what you can do in the midst of that. And, and when you practice the daily office. And it, it involves these four things. Stop our daily activity, and pause to be with the living God. You say, well, I can't do that. I'm telling you what. I, you know what? I notice an area. I drive all the way around here. Everybody takes a 10-minute smoke break once an hour. Have you noticed that? 10 minutes. Now, you may not smoke. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying, you can take a couple of minutes for a daily office to stop and say, I need to stop and say, okay, wait a minute. You know, I heard of one lady one time that had 12 kids at home, and she could never have quiet time. You know what she would do? She'd take her apron and just pull it up and over her head. And she told the kids, when mom has her apron on, do not interrupt me. She needed her daily office. She needed a few minutes. So you stop and you pause to be with the living God. And I mean stop. The second one is, is to move into God's presence and rest there. Take a deep breath. I, I love it. I think of this movie Hook all the time. When, when, when you know uh, Robin Williams who plays the part of Peter Pan. And he comes back and he can't find that spot. And, and, and I love it. The one little chubby kid just tells him, you've got to find your happy place. And when you find your happy place, it'll work. And yes, it's a mystical movie of sorts, but I'm telling you what, there's a principle that's there. And when we get to that place, what is it for you? For Celeste and I, you know what it was? And, and we had a mentor that walked us through this whole sabbatical time that we kept in touch with, not only through email, but in checking with. And in, he was one of the professors that we had when we were at Vanguard. And he met with us, and he would ask us some very pointed, direct questions, and it was awesome. But he said, I want you to think of something that will immediately put you in that particular spot. And for us, before I really understood all this, God was having his plans. The word was shalom. And for us to be able to say, because it wasn't something that we normally used. And now every time I think of that word shalom, I want to go into my office. And just quiet time. No, I'm just kidding. Maintain silence and solitude. Now that's hard. Because... We want to put in the iPods. We want to put music. We want to put something. No, silence. Sometimes we don't hear God because He's speaking in a still, small voice. And He wants to know, will you really seek me? And lastly, we add God's Word, especially the Psalms. I think we were given the Psalms to be able to pray those, to be able to be encouraged by those. And start at Psalm 1 if you need to. You know, blessed is the man that sitteth not in the seat of... You know, of all those. And that his, as he stands by the tree of the rivers of living water, everything he does prospers. Ah, I like that. We begin to understand that. And so in pulling all this together, I just want to encourage you this morning, the tail end of this particular year, seek his face. Be his people. Be a part of his plan. Delight in him. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Those desires that have been placed within there from Psalm 37, 4, he's placed them there, folks. And what he wants to say is, yes, I'm giving you a gift, but I want it to be enhanced. I want to give you that much more. I know the plans I have for you. 
I want to make them known. And when you understand that many what you go through is that, yes, you've planned your day, you've planned your course, but I may deviate it. God reserves the right to be able to deviate our plan. But He knows the plans for us. Plans for shalom and not reha. Plans that will help us in our latter end. I used to think, and I've, and I've lived most of my life since I got out of Bible college, and I, and I graduated in 79. It's been 30 years. And I've been feeling like the Lord's coming back any minute, any minute. But I will tell you, after spending some time in Israel and seeing those people, God is not willing that any should perish. I wonder if it's going to be a while yet. Yeah, we're seeing an awful lot happen. But in the midst of it, it isn't about. He didn't tell us specifically when that time is. But he did say, I want you to be obedient. And when all of us are obedient, it's amazing what will happen. Scripture tells us in Revelation what happens at the end. But so I just want you to delight in him. I want you to bask in him. Enjoy friendships with one another. I want you to to experience shalom to its absolute fullest. And so as we discovered on our sabbatical, and as we've seen through the prophet Jeremiah this morning, there's this common theme, I think, that God is sovereign. He's in control. He works out His purposes. And at times, He even uses evil people and evil plans in order to put us back on track. But I will tell you, He always watches over His people. He is always with us. And He invites us into a personal relationship with Him. Now I know shalom. Will you stand with me? Father God, I thank you so much for the plan that you have for each one of us. And I thank you for your word that holds us in such peace and strength and promise. And I claim this this morning, Lord, for myself and for those that are here today, that this scripture of Jeremiah 29.11 through your word is that we want to know the thoughts that you have toward us. We want to understand that you want nothing short of the peace of God to be upon our lives, the blessing that comes from you. And so I pray that you would fill us all with your peace and assurance. Lord, I pray that you would grant that many of the experiences that we go through would turn into shalom experiences and acts of obedience. And that when the turmoil is done, when the blizzard seems to die down and we can't seem to see our way, that we thank you, Lord, that you are that rope that we can hang on to, that you have a plan even when we don't think we do. And so I ask now this morning for your blessing to rest upon each of us. May the peace of God be upon us. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Shalom.